It is Thursday, April 22nd here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaaf. With me, as always, is Jared Smolin. We have a special guest today to help us rate the incoming class of fantasy rookies. He is the fake football meteorologist at Sharp Football. He is a veteran of various fantasy content sites. He is at Lord Reeves on Twitter. In real life, he is at he is Rich Rebar, not even with an ad on it. That's how entrenched in Twitter I am at this point. Rich. Thanks very much for joining us today. Yeah, guys, uh, it's great to catch up. You know, when you reached out, I, I was pretty excited because, you know, all three of us, if, you know, obviously you guys follow each other, but I, you know, I followed you guys for a number of years and vice versa. And like, we've never done anything together. So I was like, oh, it's kind of cool. Like, haven't got a chance to catch up with these guys, and do something with them. So I was pretty excited when you reached out and I'm happy to chop it up with you guys. Yeah, it was nice to get you on. I was a little bit, you know, nervous as a peasant to approach you, but, uh, you know, you seem like a nice <laughs> enough lord, gracious enough to come down and visit us. Yeah, you know, I, I did try to change the Twitter handle at one time back in the days uh, because of that, you know, I didn't know if it was like, you know, pretentious. But, you know, my wife for Christmas this year actually bought me a square foot of land in Scotland. So I'm an official uh, lord uh, right now. I actually looked up before the show what you have to do to become a lord. And I found out it's a lot easier these days than it used to be. Yeah, it's essentially just land preservation, like a step above like naming a star. But you know, I'll, I'll take it still. You think she bought you that just so you'd have to call her Lady Reeves from now on? <laughs> yeah, she's she was just swerving into uh the handle. It was like a fun like little gag gift, but uh I, I don't know. She I haven't called her Lady Reeves yet. Maybe she'll she'll I should swerve into that too as well. <laughs> so back to football. Rich has a terrific series on sharp football laying out his rankings by position. So we're going to dig into each of those fantasy relevant positions one at a time through this show. But first, could you please tell us just a little bit about your process for evaluating these guys heading into their rookie season? So typically in years past, I don't watch a ton of college football in season just because of the capacity limit. We talked we talked about the show about the you know the number of kids we all have. You know, so I have three kids. I work full time doing NFL content. You know, Monday through Sunday. So you know, just not having the full capacity in typical years. Now this year opened it up. You know, life circumstances that we all kind of went through opened up to be able to watch more college football this year. Not Saturdays weren't filled with going out and doing a lot of family stuff. We were still spending a lot of time indoors. So I did watch a lot more college football this in years past. But typically I do start with the the quantitative, you know, the, the more objective models and putting these guys into like my prospect models. And then I'm going to use that as a signal to go back and work through the qualitative, you know, use some things that stick out like, well, this Kind of my model says something about this prospect. I'm going to go back and watch him, see what this looks like, or vice versa. But hey, the league's high on this guy. My model is like him. Let me check this out, see if there's like what the disconnect is. So I kind of do that like as a starting base. Um, you know, obviously watched, like I said, more guys this year. But I'm only looking at things strictly through a fantasy lens as well. I mean, you know, sometimes here in Twitter, we have the, you know, the online Twitter GM analysis can bleed into things. You know, I have no desire to be an NFL GM. Uh, I try to limit those kind of takes as much as possible. I try to operate, you know, very much with as little hubris as possible when it comes to these prospects. I'm not going to be the guy on Twitter that's going to sword and shield the prospect that I like more than you. We know that, you know, 
guys collectively that, that look great as objective prospects can struggle coming to the NFL and vice versa. So I try not to get entrenched, you know, concrete shoes on a lot of these rookies. And then, you know, kind of like as like prospects kind of look, bringing this home, I mean, I'm looking for like collegiate production, you know, age adjusted production, you know, physical profiles. And of course, you know, when we get to next week, that draft investment, when are these guys actually going to be drafting? What kind of signal are we going to have early on in their NFL careers for your opportunity? Rich, do you weigh stuff like production and athleticism more at certain positions than others? Or do you have like, you know, one overarching kind of model for all, all positions? Yeah, it varies uh, for position to position, but like athleticism isn't like a huge component to any of the models. I mean, well, one off, like really no individual category from like right. a combine or athletic testing, it, it has high, high correlation, you know, to NFL production. So it's tougher to use like that as a, as a brass tax. But obviously, you know, if you have a guy that is highly productive through college and is a good athlete, there's a pretty good signal there that there's, you've got something to work with. So it does matter a little bit more probably at like a position, like, like what, like a wide receiver than running back where we're more just caring about opportunity firsthand, like overall athleticism isn't like a really, really strong data point in any of the models though. I noticed in looking through your rankings that you don't just stick to what your model spits out for ranking the players by position. We'll get into, you know, specifics by position as we go through those groups, but uh, I'll be curious to hear about that. Quarterback, we'll start out here. I think this can be one of the particular, maybe the, the toughest one to really assess because so much depends on the mental side, the system that they get into in the NFL, maybe even surrounding talent to some degree. Are there stats for quarterbacks that serve as signals for you here? Other factors about them coming in as prospects? So from the statistical side at quarterback, so quarterback in general, though, is just a tough position. Well, because the last few years, Superflex has grown, but for years and years, it's just all been one quarterback analysis. And those guys just haven't carried a lot of weight for fantasy. You know, it's until Superflex became popular, you know, it just has even really to get into the weeds on quarterbacks. They never really mattered as much for, for fantasy. It's just the way the, the game was played. Now it's starting to, to, to stick out and more dynasty leagues are in these Superflex formats and quarterbacks are coming with higher draft capital because of those formats. But if you're looking at just from like, statistical stance the things that are the most stickiest going from college to the nfl are accuracy and turnover stats you know that's kind of what you're looking at uh passers inaccurate passers very rarely become accurate passers in the nfl and guys that have problems turning over the football very rarely correct that coming into the nfl uh like matt ryan's like one of the few guys that have like it's like actually like kind of corrected like both stances so if you're looking for guys that kind of like bust out in the first round it is kind of those guys i mean like Jameis winston kind of sticks out inaccurate passer had kind of a turnover problems i don't want to say he's busted he's been a, a a fine fantasy player but only because of you know really volume he did have that nice 30 30 season two years ago but we'll remain to be seen on, on Jameis as this transition if you win that job from Taysom hill um but those are kind of what you're looking at from a statistical stance like i said the qbs are are tough in general but that's kind of what is goes into like highlighting my in my production model for these guys accuracy turnover stats uh firsthand and of course just when we think accuracy is a signal for us josh allen comes along yeah yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) what about quarterback rushing stats in college have you looked into how much correlation there is between college rushing production and nfl for quarterbacks so if a quarterback runs on on a on just like a, a top-down view, it doesn't correlate. And even in the NFL, it doesn't correlate year over year just because too many guys don't run. It, you know, it's just it's just one of those things like kick return, like yardage doesn't like have a signal for like wide receivers, but like we know it matters. But just because too many guys don't return kicks, you know, it, it's tough because it's just not enough guys do it. And then college is these goofy 
rules were like uh, in scoring that sacks count as rushing attempts and lost rushing yardage, which mm-hmm. I don't like, how is this still a Why? thing? Like how, <laughs> well, how, how does this exist? Does this, yeah. does this make any sense? But there is a good signal for quarterbacks that run, you know, in terms of being like year one through three, like actual production, there is something there. Obviously I, you know, my brand is built on like, you know, the, the value of quarterback rushing in fantasy football, but just from like a top down correlation view, there's not enough signal there just because too many guys still don't run at the position. Got it. Do you think it's kind of going the other way from the college yeah. level now where too many guys do run? So now it's like, I, yeah, I like the Trey Lance runs, but so do these four other guys in his class. You were stuck. And that was just uh, something just natural human evolution. We were just going to have more guys, like better athletes are just going to be quarterbacks, right? Like just that's the way it works. We've got, you know, better athletes playing every position. Like even look at like college, like kickers and stuff. Like all these guys, if you go back to like what they were in high school, they played other positions like in, in like the in high school, like they either were quarterbacks or, you know, uh, played like defensive back or something. And then they ended up being kickers in the NFL or, you know, outside of like the Australian punters that just like kind of, they, they breed that style of kicking over there. But yeah, so it's just, it was always going to to grow or just like there's gonna be better athletes playing position the, the big disconnect though is that we're just getting guys that do both things now you know when i first started harping on like hey rushing is undervalued back in you know 2013 when i wrote that original konami code article the guys were only runners like they were bad passers that, that ran you know like tim tebow and you know uh terrell Pryor was who i was like part of the original article guys like your father-in-law and you draft like i'm not driving that dude he's a terrible quarterback you know, but now like, you know, this incoming flux of talent, we've had to just in the Kyler Murray's, the Sean Watson's, Patrick Mahomes, like all these guys have mobility and passing acumen. And that's what's kind of lifted the lid off of QB scoring. And it's almost killed late round QB to a bit. Like it hasn't killed late round QB, but it's really put a damper on it. And we've seen this reflected into just fantasy ranks and where guys are getting drafted in ADP uh, the past two years. Like all those guys are elevated to the top of the position now. Everyone in your league knows like this archetype is what you want to glom onto. And it's not going to change until we like have an overflow of guys that do that. And we're starting to get there. I mean, you look at the top of this draft class, everybody, everybody could move. The top four guys, especially come with mobility. Mac Jones even is a better athlete than I think some you know anticipated be. Now he's a guy you're not going to draft for any type of rushing production, but he was a better athlete than I think a lot of people expect him to be. So until like that overflows though, we won't see a shift. But yeah, th- this is definitely trended towards just guys being able to be better athletes playing position that can pass and run together. I think we're almost reaching the point in redraft, not to get too far away from the rookies here, but I think we're almost reaching a point where you know, I just think of guys like Matt Stafford and Kirk Cousins in the early drafts I've done. I think they're big valleys because you know, everyone is going after the, the rushing quarterbacks and kind of leaving those, you know, statue pocket passers for someone else to draft. So I, I wonder if someone like Mac Jones, you know, could actually be undervalued in dynasty rookie drafts just because people are going to be chasing the Russian quarterbacks. It, it's funny too, that Matthew Stafford could be lumped in as, as a statue in the pocket. He's a, you know, triple digit rusher in multiple seasons in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, cousins too. I mean, you know, he's going to give you a couple hundred rushing yards, but you know, they're, they're not the, they're not the prototypical running quarterbacks. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what shifts. I mean, the problem is just like those guys can't access a ceiling even on their, like their season long stats always are going to have them in better company. Yep. like a weekly stance that's the one hammer like the, the, the guys that do both like bring because you can have a guy like matthew stafford be a great value like tom brady was last year tom brady was a great value and he was a qb1 in fantasy but on a weekly level it's still hard for him to get over on guys that are significantly worse passers than him and have those 30 point games uh with regularity just because of uh you know the, the, the losing aspect of not being able to get anything outside of those QB sneaks like Brady gets up for those touchdowns. (laughs) Now bring it back to this year's rookie class. Who are your favorite guy or guys either versus where you expect consensus to take them in rookie drafts or 
where you expect them to go, you know, versus other positions now that we have more super flex rookie drafts? Well, like many, I mean, this, this class is like objectively great. This class rocks. I mean, I have right now pre-draft, uh, which doesn't have draft capital factored in, obviously. I have six QBs that grade out in the 90th percentile as prospects. Kyle Trask just sneaks in there as well, too. I know he's not as popular. He's going to probably fall out when draft capital comes in because, you know, he's not going to get drafted in the first round. You know, looking at guys that progressively got better in college, uh, which is another thing we look for. He's another guy that fits that bill. Uh, just brings to be seen if he gets drafted in the second round, third round, fourth round, or whatever. But like a lot of people, I mean, you know, I, I like Justin Fields probably more than the NFL. Uh, I think that's where we've all kind of centered on as like a group. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but for him to get dragged through the process to this degree, it feels like every day there's something new about him. You know, we had the epilepsy thing come out yesterday. Uh, just one thing after another where Justin Fields is falling. But, you know, the NFL has gotten these guys wrong through the process. Justin Herbert last year, Lamar Jackson a couple years ago. Because remember, I only care about the fantasy production. Like, I'm not here to say like, this guy's gonna be a great NFL quarterback I just want to know if he can generate fantasy points and obviously Justin Fields fits that archetype of guys we talked about the passing acumen's there he's 97th percentile from all prospects in 2000 in the league in touchdown to interception ratio 94th in completion percentage 93rd percentile in yards for pass attempt for all prospects in that time and you get that that rushing acumen and then strength of schedule also plays into you know a factor with these quarterbacks Justin Fields has played just a really strong strength of schedule his past years. Obviously this year, everyone only played inside their conference in college football, which robbed us of Trey Lance playing his first power five opponent. You would have played Oregon that first week of the season. We were robbed of that, but uh, in Bill Connolly's SP defensive SP plus metric ESPN, Justin Fields faced 11 defenses in the top 15 the past two years, and he was great in those games. 27 touchdowns and six interceptions. Obviously, he did put some red on his ledger this year in the Northwestern game, in the Big Ten title game, and then, you know, wasn't the, it's extremely strong in the Alabama game. But, you know, if you go back to a year ago, Trevor Lawrence had one of his worst career games in the national championship game against LSU. And, you know, because we're just not as recent, it's not as talked about as much. So did Fields put some red on his ledger? Yeah, but what quarterback doesn't have red on his ledger? It's the toughest position in sports. We don't even have 32 good quarterbacks in the NFL uh you know every starting pitcher gives up a home run uh every quarterback has a bad game and, and Fields did put some red on his ledger but he is a guy that kind of checks all the boxes of what I look for in a fantasy quarterback and having that upside and Justin Fields outdueled Trevor Lawrence when they faced off in the playoffs yes. <laughs> way better than him in the same game I I love Justin Fields to the point at this stage that I get angry when I see negative Justin Field stuff on Twitter. I'm like, all right, man, step back a little bit. It's just fantasy. But yeah, I'm with you definitely on Justin Fields in this class. Who don't you like versus expectation among these quarterbacks? Or is there anybody? Well, I'm, I mean, it's kind of a cliche answer. I think if you have to pick a guy you don't like or like less than the other guys, it's got to be Zach Wilson, I think. Just because the same reasons we talked about, like with Justin Fields, like the things that prop Justin Fields up is you have this great strength of schedule resume. You've got the size, you've got the rushing ability. You know, Zach Wilson's a little bit smaller. He went to BYU. I mean, I, you've seen some of the photos people have tweeted, like Josh Norris. Like this guy just wasn't pressured, like at all at, at BYU. You know, this year he plays the in conference schedule, which isn't great. He faced just four total defenses in that same metric we talked about, that Bill Connolly SP plus metric the past two years, just once the season, just seven games against teams in the top 50 in that category so there's probably a little more volatility in those games that those four games against those top teams as well Wilson his, his completion trends dropped to just under 65 percent which is still strong but his yards per attempt go to 7.1 yards per attempt four touchdowns to four interceptions as opposed to the other body of work outside those games completion rate 69 percent 
9.9 yards for pass attempt, 40 touchdowns to eight interceptions against those teams. So, I mean, there's a big discrepancy. We just haven't seen him play a lot of high-collar opponents. It's not completely his fault going to that school, but uh, I think there is some volatility there. You probably say the same thing for Trey Lance, but Trey Lance also has that out of being a Lamar Jackson-esque kind of athlete, like especially in terms of rushing acumen. I think he's definitely a better thrower too than Lamar Jackson and you know having a the kind of arm strength like you look for in the quarterback position. I think there's a lot more upside in you know Trey Lance's range of outcomes. But I would say Zach Wilson if you twist an arm, but I'm not negative on Zach Wilson. I'm just mm-hmm. more pro on like a guy like Justin Fields. Yeah, I mean, I have Wilson fourth among quarterbacks pre-draft, you know, fantasy. I do think, he, to me, he has a bigger bust potential than, than Justin Fields as a real-life mm-hmm. quarterback. Doesn't have the rushing upside. I, I will say, though, the more I've listened to, like, film guys I trust and even watch some more Zach Wilson games, I do think he has more rushing upside than I think a lot of people are giving him credit for. I don't know if he's going to be, like, a designed run kind of guy, but I do think yeah. he's someone who can add, like, you know, three, 400 yards. And he He's a pretty mm-hmm. good athlete. I know, you know he was a big basketball player throughout high school as well. So I, I think that part of his game might be being undersold at this point fantasy-wise. Yeah, that's it. I'm going to write and lock stuff with you. I mean, he's going to have scramble ability. The only question is how much design runs right. uh, does he get? But, you know, guys like Edwin Porras have kind of, you know, highlighted, like, these guys that get designed runs, even with Wilson being a smaller frame, like, QBs get hurt more on pocket hits than they do design runs. So even though he's a smaller guy, getting designed runs, like, you're – bracing for impact on hits on design runs you know we're not talking to ever you're not rg3 running doing helicopters over guys and stuff like that <laughs> but you know guys get hurt more at the quarterbacks and these pocket passes are the guys that are missing more time than the mobile quarterbacks have you thought about wilson's fit with the jets much yet rich i mean i've i've heard people say he's a good fit because you know mike lafleur right yeah the other um, yeah. <laughs> likes to, you know is shanahan likes to get his his guys out on, on the bootlegs so I, don't, I don't know it seems like a decent fit to me yeah, I, I have no really problem. I'm not really one that does a lot of like coach elevation for these guys. Uh, I'm not a big landing spot guy in general. We've just shown that these things are too fluid in the NFL to really glom onto and like really. And, and we we just do we overweight landing spots so much, so much. It's it's so hard. So I try not to go overboard. The thing about the Jets situation in totality though is it's probably a multi-year thing. Like as a rookie, Zach Wilson is probably going to be in not the greatest of spots. This offensive line is still one of the worst in the league. You look at the the position stance they've got some okay receivers we all kind of think like jameson crowder is like a solid player for what he is we're waiting to see what denzel mims is they signed Corey davis but as a unit not a lot still here for zach wilson to work with like so in context of where these guys could land like the quarterback that lands in denver if a quarterback lands in denver could be in a lot better spot than him the san francisco quarterback is going to be in a lot better spot even the jacksonville you know trevor lawrence is going to probably have a lot more weaponry then as Zach Wilson's going to have year one. And if Detroit takes a guy, then that guy's going to have absolutely nothing to work with outside of an expansion level roster. <laughs> yeah, Skip, give us Justin Fields to Denver. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Denver's the one spot I think all of us are hoping, like Lancer yeah. kind of Fields like, falls to. <laughs> yeah, J- Justin Fields to Denver, I'll, I'll have him ahead of Trevor Lawrence in my post <laughs> He's going to be there for me if he lands in San Francisco too. I'm just waiting for it. Handing off to the running backs here, Rich, what matters to you specifically about running backs as you're evaluating prospects? I mean, pretty much from when it's all said and done, it's just draft capital. If like you're looking for like an uh, like an uh, object sim- signal, I mean, draft capital has a correlation to your one through three running back scoring of you know point three one oh five. So about thirty one percent of year one through three scoring can be explained solely by draft capital. Because what matters at the running position? 
opportunity. We all know it. We see it every year, you know, when Tim Hightower is winning you fantasy championships, you know, after the two guys fall down and and it it just happens all the time. We just care about opportunity and it's the easiest signal at the position. You know, we're looking for kind of guys from like a statistical sense, like guys that catch football, but it's always not a huge signal because some in these schemes in college, like they don't throw to running backs very often. We've seen that happen with like a multiple Wisconsin backs now over the years, but you know, like, yeah, you know, there's ages as much as a, a signal here for like your Najee Harris's of the world. Although I think it's a little, he's a little unique circumstance anyways. I think he actually played his cards, right. Going back to school coming out in this draft class versus last year's. But yeah, we're really just looking for investment on these guys. And that could even change over this next couple of years because we're just not going to see as many round one running backs taken. We've already seen that kind of shift. And we won't have a guy taken in the top 10 this year again, I'm assuming. I'm, and we might not even take a, see a round one guy unless it's really back half round one. So mm-hmm. it could start to shift where draft capital is not as big of a signal. But that's what we're looking for, where guys are going to draft and how much opportunity they're going to have. Now, on the opposite end, though, I saw that your model liked James Robinson last season in that that class. So what was it that boosted Robinson? Yeah, so for my my model, from a statistical stance, like we're looking for like workhorses, like guys that are like actually like workhorses at the collegiate level and then, you know, have production and efficiency off that off of that. And like Robinson was a guy was that he was a workhorse. He was invited to the combine. He checked a number of boxes. Actually, my model liked him more than Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Now, I didn't rank him obviously above that. We had an undrafted guy versus around one guy. But like pre-draft was like a signal of like, hey, this guy could be a lot more valuable. So I took him on a lot of fourth round teams. I've traded him in, in several leagues already this year. Is that, you know that's heartless i know i know but you know how fantasy is it's tough man uh and i'm not even like a, a big like you have to sell them because the undrafted thing it's the, the examples of guys that have been undrafted rookies and have hit and then have fallen off it's just too small and like they have varying you know circumstances you know like dominique Rhodes was filling in for like you know injuries and loses his job the next year we had philip Lindsay, like thomas rawls like those guys it's, it's varying circumstances that push those guys out the biggest thing for james robinson coming this year is like there's just no way he's going to have his share of touches in this backfield that he had a year ago like he was the the show for jacksonville and this is probably just not going to be that into year two i haven't just sold him to sell him though i have held him in a lot of leagues but when i can get a future one for him i've done those i've sold him for future ones so i feel like i had to take that but yeah i'm looking for like from a fiscal stance like efficiency workload workload and stuff like that when we're talking about athleticism at throwing position and the same thing holds true at the wide receiver position i'm looking for like what archetype these guys are gonna be that's what i care from these physical things we talk about i'm not caring just from an athletic standpoint I want to know what archetype these guys are going to be because I do my tiers based on archetypes. I do all my fantasy drafting based on archetypes. I might have a guy like Robert Woods on a linear list as the wide receiver 20 and a guy like Tyler Boyd, like the wide receiver 30 or 31 on a linear list. But those guys are the same archetype of receiver. They're going to get the same like types of targets in the same area of the field, stuff like that. So like when you're looking at the running back position, if a guy is a great athlete, but he's only 195 pounds, 200 pounds, like that guy, the signal in the NFL, like he's not going to be a bell cow runner. He's probably not going to get short yardage work. He's probably going to be able to score touchdowns to offset, you know, inefficiency. You know, you can have a bigger back be inefficient, but if he's scoring touchdowns, it's not going to matter. You can have a guy that's super efficient, like an Austin Eckler, run into a situation where he just doesn't get goal line carries and he's still a fine back, but you need touchdowns still like in the NFL to get, to get over. So uh, that's what I'm looking for an athletic stance. When you look at these secondary skill positions is what archetype of player are they going to be? Cause that's what matters for fantasy production. Yeah. We got to know who, who this year's James Robinson is though. Give it to us. I mean, there's probably not one. I mean, yeah, I'll be sorry. honest. Uh, yep. uh, like we do this every but, yeah, year. But, who's this year's Josh Gordon or who's yeah. this year's Justin Jefferson. But, but I mean, yeah, I mean it, is there, <laughs> is there though a, 
like projecting later on back though, who you do, who, you know, was a workhorse in college, you could see, you know, filling that type of role in the NFL. Uh, this class is very tough because we'll probably get into the weeds here on the running back class and the wide receiver position. The archetypes for these two classes, there's not of like alpha archetypes in either position. There's a lot of satellite backs in this class and there are a lot of slot receivers in this class. I will say like, as far as like non like top prospects that I probably like more than consensus, uh, I do like Kylan Hill from Mississippi State nice. uh, a good amount. You, know, you look at him; he has that receiving acumen. Kind of, you know, pulled out this year. He had some, he had some like a schism with the coach, and like got out. Uh, but he's a guy that's like one of those tweener size guys. He's right around two ten, so you can go either way. He can be a guy that's like more of a committee back, or you know, could run into a situation where he's like you can get like that Aaron Jones like workload, something like that, because he can catch the ball. So he's probably like my favorite of the like non top guys because like many, I think it's hard to elevate anyone else into the top three. You might have your favorite RB four, but it's a very clear cutoff from the top three guys to the rest of his class. And I know it's like a consensus take, but there's a reason it's a consensus take. Right? <laughs> so are you chasing? You talked about archetypes. Are you chasing guys that have? bell cow upside or mm-hmm. are you looking for guys that are at the top of their particular specialty you know is it are, are you more interested in a guy who looks like he's going to be a strong pass catching back Naheem Hines in the NFL than you are somebody who has more size and could be viewed as a three down back in the NFL when you get into say round two and on of rookie drafts yeah, the, the latter is my preferred, you know, archetype to pursue in rookie drafts just because there's more upside. That's why I currently do have Trey Sermon as my RB4 just be, just for that reason. I mean, when you look at you getting that secondary tier, six foot, 215 pounds. Uh, then you go back to like, I like to look to like a lot of these prospects. Well, what were they coming out of high school? Like, where were they valued? And, you know, Trey Sermon was a major recruit coming out of high school. He had offers from Alabama. He had offers from Auburn. Uh, he obviously went to Oklahoma, starts off strong, has a knee injury, loses ground to Ramondre Stevenson, transfers, goes to Ohio State, COVID year, doesn't really get to work out the teams behind Master Teague, doesn't get an opportunity until Master Teague gets hurt and they have to lean on him. He plays his best football when everyone's watching in the Big Ten Championship game and then that game against Clemson. gets hurt at the very beginning of the Alabama game. But just when you look at the secondary tier, his archetype versus a uh, Michael Carter or Kenneth Gainwell, there's just a lot more upside if it hits. If this goes right, he's going to be more projectable to be something in the NFL for fantasy. When you look at these satellite backs, you know, it's kind of interesting because the fantasy treats these guys as safe floor types, but they're like way better best ball guys than like floor based guys in fantasy, which is kind of really weird. If you look at like the history of these guys, they, they, they do have really good strong win rates in best ball leagues. And there's like a reason for that. And, you know, so anyways, from like, just like a top down view, like a floor running back is one of the worst actual weekly commodities in fantasy football. Like in terms of context of where the RB two scores versus the RB one or versus like wide receiver two, a wide receiver three, a quarterback two, uh, it's the biggest gap. Like it just, there's not a lot of positional leverage with like RB two. It's when you always see people say like, well, this guy was the RB 20 last year. But what are we really saying? We're not really saying anything about that player. We're saying a lot about the RB 20 still, but in like these best ball leagues, these guys still do have like ceiling weeks. Like you brought up Naeem Hines, you know, you look at just like his game log. Well, he's got these games where he's an RB1, but then they're followed by a game where he's like an RB35 or like an RB40. Um, but you get the best of those worlds in these best ball leagues. You don't have to predict game scripts to these guys. You don't have to predict when they get in the end zone. You just take the weeks as they come with you. So I do like drafting these guys in these best ball leagues. I find they're actually undervalued in those formats. Um, but when it comes to weekly lineup setting leagues, these guys don't particularly carry a lot of value because you you have to play them every week to kind of even get their best weeks. And it's a lot tougher to do that uh, because you don't have the scoring opportunities that you can project for them. And 
and you're trying to print game script, which is always tough for these guys. Even the guys that do score touchdowns, like the Jordan Howards of the world in the past, you still have to project game script or them getting that, you know, that bunny, you know, goal line touch. But, you know, these satellite backs are the toughest archetype to kind of really get into the the, the really like to, to, to just dig in and, and draft those guys. If you like those guys, that's fine. It's more of a process play for me. I, they're not my favorite archetype at all. Trey Sermon's been getting a little bit of buzz, at least in fantasy Twitter lately. And I, I noticed in your running back rankings, he he checked in 16th in your prospect model, fourth in your rankings. So I thought that he was an interesting guy to look at what makes you differ that much from a model that obviously you use for a reason. Yeah, um, well, I'm just not a robot, you know. I mean, it's just, you know, I know that, like, you know, so, sometimes it pulls me in a direction that's misleading, and sometimes the model can pull me in a direction that's misleading. But like I stated at the top of the show, where I'm starting is always with, like, the qualitative. And, you know, a guy like Trey Sermon from a model stance, and we could probably talk about Jalen Waddle too, is why he's, you know, ranked higher than – they're just not going to stand out. There's not a lot of really top-end production from Trey Sermon for, like, the reasons we talked about. You know, he, was a, he went to the transfer portal. He was hurt. Didn't really have his production. But, you know – He's elevated for me because of the differentiator, the, the, the archetype he is in context of this class. If it was a stronger draft class with like more archetypes to like that were in like the 215, 220 pound range, he'd still probably be a little lower than me. But with there being so many 200 pound backs in this class and so many guys fitting that satellite back mold, I do think that he he gets elevated, you know, out of the process class. But really just like the, the bottom line is I'm just not a robot, man. I'm not just going to follow my model just to follow it. Uh, I'm, but I always do like highlight in those rankings like, hey, this is why the objectively like he's not as strong of a prospect and when you look at my rb4 anyways in total ranks he's my rb4 but he's also my 20th player overall in pre-draft rankings yeah i know a lot of film guys like uh sermon too i think i think matt waldman actually has him as his number one running back yeah class. he does yeah he's yeah. aggressive yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not afraid to get aggressive. guys around so they can do stuff like that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean Wald- and listen waldman is a guy too like he's never shied away from like mm-hmm. elevating a guy like he's he's not he doesn't worry about the unpopular take you know he was a, a big jeremy gallon guy and a jake Fromm guy I mean, you guys remember jake Fromm? he had a really high really? he's never he's not gonna shy away he's gonna he's yeah. this is this is my take i'm gonna this is what i've got on the table he's definitely watched more trey sermon than i have so yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely by the way you mentioned master teague and passing in relation to trey sermon i heard a great take from Derek brown uh Debro, uh ffb on, on twitter called um master teague ray chapman i think is the running back from the program he was that that guy who was in place when darnell jefferson showed up and he was the starter at first and then finally the coaches are like all right we're gonna give the ball to darnell because he's way better i thought that was an excellent comp for the situation at ohio state last year yeah, and I mean, Ohio State, like their offensive system, and this is one of the things that we circle back to like fields on, like their offensive system really was all about like taking vertical shots. Like they weren't even really about running the football like at all at any point early in the season. It wasn't until like in that Northwestern game when they had all, everyone missed time. So Fields gets knocked for an investing game. He didn't play well in that game at all. But they were missing, like, multiple starters due to COVID that game. And they kind of had to lean into the run. And Fields didn't play well either, so it helped lean into the run. And that's where Sermon went, like, bananas. But, like, that was a pass-first offense that was relied on, like, downfield passing the entire season. So, you know, there was a lot of circumstances that buried Trey Sermon as well. There was also a strong defense that he performed against in that Northwestern game, too. So we know that you like Trey Sermon. We know that you like Kylan Hill. Who don't you like versus expected consensus at running back this year? I think just all the, like I said, I hit upon like these satellite backs. Like I think they're, 
We'll probably see a few of these guys get drafted and maybe the late second, but the third round, I think guys like Michael Carter, and I think Michael Carter is a fine player. He looks good too. Like, uh, you know, from objective stance, like I like what he does. He, you know, he's, I think he's going to be as a really good shot to be a productive NFL player. You know, he's just in like that James Whitey and mold, you know, and remember people forget that James White college player versus the NFL player. Like he wasn't a complete, like, you know, runner, like a complete pass catcher. Like he was a runner and a, a workhorse you know, at Wisconsin, you know, he had a ton of carries. He actually had more carries at Wisconsin. I think he does at this point in the NFL, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think that's what's what just, what we see coaches. There's a reluctance to not give these guys a lot of touches in the run game, except for out of pure necessity, either in game guys get hurt or in season, they're forced to give these guys touches. It's very rare that, you know, these coaches elevate that archetype of running back to be workhorses in the NFL. At wide receiver now, you mentioned what this class looks like a little bit before, but what matters to you overall when you're assessing wide receivers? What are the what are the stats? What are the categories? Yeah, I mean, from just uh, like a model stance, a statistical stance, we're looking for those those guys that perform early, age adjusted production, early breakouts. Are you an early declare in the NFL? Now, I mean, early declares in general this year, I think, have a lot less signal than years past because it's the fewest amount of early declares we've had given the COVID season. The NCAA also allowed players to come back and use an extra year eligibility due to the, what happened the last season. Uh, it's the first time in seven years there have been fewer early declares than the year prior, so maybe a little bit less of a signal there as in years past, but yeah, we're looking for the, those guys that come out and perform early at an early age and, you know, um, are going to be drafted highly. Again, that's what we're looking at. Uh, draft capital again is, is, is weighted here as well. Tyler is the one guy that I'm going to have to try to push up the draft sharks ranking because he didn't early declare. I'm going to have to try to push him up. Yeah. Against here. Do you think maybe he's, he bucks the early declare thing because he had that injury in his junior year that maybe kept him from leaving early? Yeah, I really kind of go one foot in and one foot out on Tylen Wallace a lot. So, like, on one hand, he's been just nothing but productive his entire collegiate career. And you look at him in context of this class, I mean, you know, what, fifth in receptions per game, third in yards per game for this draft class. But also I get, like, very much, like, Tyler Johnson vibes from Tylen Wallace. Like, he was very hyper-productive, but also, like, doesn't stand out, like, on any level. You know, he's not a great athlete. Like, when you watch the way he won in college, too, at Oklahoma State, he was a vertical, almost clasher. Like he brought one in the contested catch game uh, for his size, which I don't really know if that's going to be his game in the NFL. It's going to be interesting to see. So like I, he gives me like kind of Tyler Johnson vibes. And then he has this weird like medical thing, you know, with the ACL and like, he's got a twin brother that's torn his ACL three times as well. Uh, I am no doctor by any means, but I have seen like some of the the doctor folks out here kind of show that it is a signal that like he's got more of an objective stance to re-injure his ACL and like have multiple ACL injuries over his career due to the genetics of that. And that, I mean, I also, I don't know any reason why that has, but you know, it exists, but I just like get that. Like I said, Tyler Johnson is the guy he really re- reminds me of a year ago. Like a lot of us guys really like Tyler Johnson. I liked him too, but like, Tyler Johnson was never like a guy that like the NFL was all the way in on. I kind of feel that way about Tyler Wallace. I feel like the NFL really wasn't all the way in on him. I think he comes out last year. He's probably still a third round pick last year especially in that class last year as well. So, I mean, I think that's probably what we're looking at him to be like a third, fourth round pick still this year. Yeah. Third or fourth round pick, I think would be, would be nice for him. Um, yeah. As, as you mentioned, you know, he's, he's 5'11", he's sub 200 pounds and he tested as a below average athlete. So to expect that guy to continue winning in contested situations as a pro, I, I don't think it's a, a smart bet. Who else do you like in this class? We mentioned, you know, Tylen Wallace is a bit of a hokey pokey player. You're, you're one foot in one foot out. Who do you like, you know, without having to step back out? 
Well, I think that, you know, Chase is clear number one. I think he's, I mean, I, for most people. And I think the next like two to four or five guys are pretty fungible. If you like one guy more than I do, I really don't even push back. I think those guys are all fairly interchangeable and will be drafted like the first like, you know, two rounds. Your, your Batemans, your Elijah Moores, your Waddles, your Devontae Smith guys. I would say like outside of the top guys, though, like the guys I like the most are Nico Collins from Michigan. You know, I said, you go back to, with these guys coming out of high school, you know, Nico Collins was a four-star recruit. He had offers from Alabama, Clemson, Florida. He chooses Michigan because you have to remember at the time, Jim Harbaugh is literally like the hottest thing. Like he is like the, the when he goes to Michigan, he's coming off of being maxing out guys at San Diego State, Stanford. He turned Colin Kaepernick into you know, a really good pro, uh, maxed out Alex Smith to go to the NFC Championship game. He was almost going to get traded for by the Miami Dolphins, almost were going to trade for Jim Harbaugh. A lot of people forget that. So, like, he recruited a ton of four and five star athletes his first two years at Michigan. And what happened? All of those guys either transferred out or bottomed out. Like they had so many guys transfer, just didn't really that program. Like what he recruited just really didn't pan out. But if you look at like his production though, Neil Collins, he still had some pros there, and obviously he played a bad quarterback play the entirety of that. You know, Shea Patterson was just absolute trash in 2019. He didn't play this year. But if he chooses to go to Alabama or any of other schools, like that story could be Neil Collins' story could be a lot different. He's you know six four, 215 pounds. There's not a lot of big guys in this class, not a lot of size and speed guys. 16.7% of his catches in college went for touchdowns. That's ninth in this class. Just under 18 yards per catch, 17.8 yards per catch. It's 11th in this class. Uh, and then he was one of these guys that actually was a better athlete than we thought. You know, I did, you know, Neil Collins is a guy I thought, like, you don't think of him as like having agility, but his agility score was like super high, a lot higher than I thought it would be, you know, watching him. But the thing I like about Neil Collins the most is that like, compared to his class, he can go anywhere and like a coaching staff doesn't have to get him right. You know, when you look at the archetypes in this class, the Rondell Moores, the Elijah Moores, the Karius Tonys, uh, even going into the secondary twos, the Dwayne Eskridge, Jalen Darden. But coaching staffs for fantasy football stance, like if you draft those guys, the coaching staff has to get those guys right. They need a lot of volume. And the coaching staff has to be willing to give those guys a lot of value. And Nico Collins does isn't a guy that like he can probably work his way into being a hundred target guy. He'd be a Mike Williams type or a Kenny Galladay type. A coaching staff doesn't have to get him right. He can win in the red zone. He can win in the contested catch game. Now, I'm not elevating him into like my top 10 wide receivers because he doesn't have that production profile that we look for. He's probably not going to have that requisite draft capital. He's another guy like he somehow gets in round two. It'd be amazing. But it's probably going to be a round three guy. So I'm not going to vault him up there, but I do like that he could kind of be a guy like coaching staffs don't have to get right, where so much of this class is contingent on coaching staffs kind of being able to get these guys right in fantasy football. Yeah, I think I think Nico Collins is basically discount Terrace Marshall, right? As far as the NFL draft and dynasty draft. So like he he's not gonna put big check marks in the you know production box, but there, mm-hmm. there's some contextual stuff that you can kind of explain mm-hmm. that away a bit. But he he's a big athletic guy in a class without many of those guys. I mean, I think I think Collins has the potential to, you know, emerge as his NFL team's top wide receiver if everything goes right. Yeah, you bringing up Nico Collins made me smile because we just did our uh, video profile on him earlier today. Jared just posted his Dynasty scouting report on Nico oh, Collins nice. today and called him a player that he expects to be higher on than everybody else. So it's it's nice to get a match on that one. Before we get to the dislikes, Devontae Smith, he is a barometer right now. And I, I don't know, I feel a little bit left out because I can't get angry on either side of Devonte Smith. I, it doesn't make me mad that people say BMI. I am fine with weighing that in. And I am also not 
I don't know. I, I don't have a strong take on Devontae Smith. I can understand, you know, betting that he's a unicorn. I can understand passing on him because he would have to be a unicorn. So I guess, Rich, where are you at on Devontae Smith here? Yeah, and as someone that always plays it a little more, you know, not I'm not really, you know, risk averse. Like, you know, you're saying I have to to bet on a guy becoming the next Marvin Harrison. It's a tough bet to sell me on, you know, uh, in general. But from an objective stance, like Devontae Smith, he looks fine. He looked like a good prospect last year. Still, like, you know, if he was to declare last year, he would have looked. He would look good. He would have been a, a good prospect. You know, an interesting thing when you look at him, he comes back. He didn't need this year, this Heisman year. But, you know, he runs in just like this bananas production this year. It's interesting because he probably doesn't win the Heisman if Waddle doesn't get hurt. You know, I mean, up until that point, you know, it's only four-game sample of the season. But up to that point, Waddle had, you know, more yards and touchdowns than him. But Smith was still the alpha. He was leading the team in target percentage at, you know, 31 uh, 34%. Uh, But then like when Waddle goes out, he just goes bananas. He went from 30.7% of team yards all up to 44% with Waddle out. And his touchdown share went from 33% to 64%. Like this is is wild. Those are just wild numbers. But on the other hand, like you can use that as a pro argument. Well, Waddle went out. Everyone knew they had to stop Devontae and they couldn't. They just couldn't stop him because he got over on everybody. He he got over on NFL quality corners too uh, in this class. And you say when you go back and watch him and you look at his size, he did have some manufactured production. He did have the out of this receiver class last year the most slot reception or screen receptions and screen yardage. But he's not out here like you don't his size like was never an issue when you watch him. Like he's still get, he's still beating man press and he's beating man coverage. He's winning in the contested catch game too. Uh when you go back and watch him, his size was never an issue. Now, is that gonna be an issue in the NFL? Maybe, but, uh, you know, we don't have a great example of like guys his size, you know, winning in the NFL, but also like we've seen the college game you know, kind of shift in putting out different kind of, the, you know, the, the smaller, leaner guys are the most productive receivers in college, and it's elevated them in terms of draft capital. I mean, you look, since 2015, we've had 23 first-round wide receivers. Uh, just three of those guys have been over 215 pounds. Ten of those 23 have been below 200 pounds, just eight taller than six foot one. Elite boundary receivers in college just are the less common, you know, player now in the NFL. So why is this happening? I think, you know, there's no blanket answer, but the most, you know, easiest, lowest branches are one, like amateur quarterbacks are bad. We don't have 32 good NFL quarterbacks and teams want to give the ball to their best players as easy as possible. So you see these guys move around in the slot and you, you know, Jared just touched on, you know, Terrace Marshall. He was a guy that played big slot this year. They moved the socks. They wanted to get the ball. When Rashad Bateman came back this season, he became the full-time slot, and he had never really played a lot of slot snaps before. So Justin Jefferson from 2018 to 2019. Teams just want to get the ball to these players and these playmakers, and we have a lot of these guys in this draft class, like the, the Moors, the Tonys, guys we hit up on earlier. But the more productive wide receivers in college are these leaner, more versatile guys, and it's impacted draft capital from the real NFL. We're still seeing like size pro- profiles get drafted. You know, We've had the T. Higgins, the Chase Claypools, these DK Metcalfs get drafted in the second round. Uh, but these guys, these first round wide receivers and these elevations uh, in terms of production where the NFL values these guys have been these leaner guys. Even the top guys that you would say are bigger wide receivers in this year class, Chase or even a Terrence Marshall, these guys are 201, 205. Like we're not seeing a lot of these big wide receivers, you know, get elevated in terms of draft capital. The NFL is valuing separation, versatility a lot more than they did in previous years. You know, we would have seen a guy that's just a big clasher like a DK Metcalf, I think get drafted a lot higher in years past than he would have uh, years prior. And, you know, we just had Marquise Brown go, he's 166 pounds two years ago. I'd even contend that Marquise Brown has been a good NFL player through two years. If he's in a different system that actually has passing value, 
he might look a lot better, you know, statistically, but I think he's been a good player in context of a system through two years. So in terms of the, the size profile for Devontae Smith, I, the NFL may be tending in a direction where it's not as much of a hindrance as well. We just don't have a large of a window to compare that to, like, as we have over these, the history of time of being able to drop the only comparisons as Marvin Harrison or to say, is he the next Ted Ginn or Paul Richardson or who are these light guys that you want to name? Uh, but interesting enough, you know, he gets dragged for his weight and everyone uses that arbitrary 180 pound, 180 pound, but like Waddle's right there too. Like Waddle's right on it. Uh, and we don't even know what Waddle weighs, but uh, you know, it's, a, it, it's just an interesting draft class in the context of the college games put out all these leaner wide receivers and this class is filled with them. Do you think we're getting more lean wide receivers because of plant-based diets? Do you think it's a, a PETA conspiracy? <laughs> I mean, listen, I have no idea. Uh, but, you know, it's it's definitely, if you follow the the history of this stuff recently, like these are the guys that are most productive players uh, coming out of college, and it's definitely impacted the league. I know as like fantasy analysts, we're supposed to, you know, talk about BMI and dominator rating, breakout edge. <laughs> I, I think with Devontae Smith, it's as simple as just like watch the freaking games. The guy's like awesome. Like he does everything you'd want a wide receiver to do. He can do big wide receiver stuff. Like he wins and can contest situations. So I don't know. He, he he's just not a guy I'm going to bet against. Even though you know he he doesn't look like the prototypical wide receiver that, that we want to see coming into the league. Yeah, I'm personally going to take Devonte Smith if he's there. Where I'm looking for that player at the same time. If somebody else says I'm going to bet against him because we never see guys that size work out. That's fine. I mean, generally going in that direction is going to be a, a good way to go. So I don't have any problem with betting that he'll be a unicorn. I'm fine with you not believing in unicorns. Dislikes in this class, Rich. Who do you dislike among these wide receivers? Who do you – you don't even have to dislike him. That's, maybe that's too mean. Who are you not going to be drafting at where you expect to have to draft him in rookie drafts or in, in redraft? Well, similar to the running back position, it's just these – you know, I'm looking at – you know, archetypes of players and what what position they're going to play in the NFL and how that leads to fantasy production. And we've just got a, a number of these guys that are really hard to project falling into the right system to fully max out his prospects. You know, you look at Rondell Moore, a guy, 78% of his catches were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage at Purdue. Now, Rondell Moore is a guy has elite traits. Like his, after the catchability, if you're just counting that, like in that aspect, like it's an elite trait of his. Pound for pound, he's literally one of the strongest backs in this class. Uh, you know, I comped him to Ant-Man with Matt, Matt Kelly like he's just but again a coach has to get him right when you have a guy that he gets 80 percent of his targets within 10 yards line of scrimmage what do you need a lot of targets at the NFL level because for fantasy that's the only way he's going to combat not scoring touchdowns you know not being a high touchdown score so then you go down the line of this class and you've got like your Tonys your Eskridges your Jalen Dardens I'm a little lower on those guys than the field uh, just for that reason. It's like they're tougher to max out as prospects. It's not that I'm down on those guys. I think that those guys are good at what they do. It's just from a fantasy, through mm -hmm. a fantasy lens, it's harder to max out those guys' prospects, just kind of the, the really just cut and dry. So I'm a little lower on those guys. Uh, Elijah Moore is like on the cusp. Like he looks like a, a, a slot cheat code in a sense. But again, is it going to be, is there going to be a ceiling cap on Elijah Moore eventually? Is he going to be a guy that scores touchdowns? I think he can win vertically. A little bit more. We just haven't seen it. He reminds me a lot of Oregon State Brandon Cooks a lot when he came out. Because remember, Brandon Cooks was a guy that played a lot of slot, even his first year in the NFL until they drafted Michael Thomas. Did he move outside and became what he is today in the NFL? He never looked back. But he was more of a versatile player, you know, coming into the league than what he became in the league. So it just depends on we need to see it from Elijah Moore. Can he win outside? Can he win vertically? But yeah, these guys, it's this is a, a class that's really hard to project scoring a lot of touchdowns and needing a lot of volume to carry their fantasy lines at the next level.
I think Rondell Moore is a guy that, to me, a lot of people just have like blinders on with him. Like, yeah, the freshman season was awesome. There is no doubting that. But there, there's a lot of question marks with him. Like, Rich, you mentioned how he produced at Purdue and, and all that short stuff. The guy's barely played the last couple of seasons because of hamstring injury. So I think durability is concerned. And then he's 5'7". I mean, yeah. that to me is just as big a concern as Devontae Smith's weight. And I don't think it gets talked about nearly as much. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because I mean, there's because with Devontae Smith, we know that he might end up being like an NFL slot, but like he's probably best as like a Z or a flanker and he can win vertically. And and he there's like all these ancillary things like that are outs for him still, even being an undersized guy. Whereas Rondo Moore, like the only out he really has is getting a ton of targets. <laughs> like it's really the only out. I've heard too that, you know, I, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah said he expected him to, him to be a third round pick. And, you know, if you get picked in the third round, you're not going to be gifted this, you know, huge mm-hmm. opportunity. So, so we'll see where he, how, how high he goes. Unless you're tearing yeah. the corn. <laughs> and we've seen that the we can't even count like from an archetype stance. We can't even really count draft capital for like coaches to get these guys right either, because we've seen it happen. You know, over multiple years. I mean, just last year, the Raiders take Henry Ruggs, the first overall wide receiver, and didn't use him in any capacity of what he was good at at Alabama. Uh, you know, they just said, well, he he ran fast. We're going to put him in this role. Uh, like, you know, it's, it's really tough even to bank on that. And these guys are so contingent on coaches really having, you know, the clarity to use these guys correctly. It's just really tough. Yep. Now we're going to close out with tight ends back when we opened with quarterbacks, he talked about not really needing to get into the weeds on QBs because they just didn't matter that much. So tight ends, I mean, you know, we (laughs) have a super flex version. We do have FFPC leagues where it's, it's tight end premium one and a half PPR, but outside of that, I mean, how often do tight ends truly matter for dynasty rookie drafts? How is it every year that you dig into it, or is is it most of the time like we'll rank them, but who really cares? Yeah, the latter have been pretty much just because I mean, you look at it. Just one first round tight end has cleared 200 PPR points in his rookie season. That was Keith Jackson back in 1988. <laughs> just five have cleared 150 PPR points their first season. And Evan Ingram was the last guy. So it is still possible to, to get there. So if you're saying like a guy like Kyle Pitts can get there, we've had some elite prospects not get there. It's a slow burn position. It's hard in the NFL because these guys, you know, they don't, they play, it's a dual role position. You have to block, you have to get on the field for blocking you, you and then pass catching as part of it. Like it's a, a slow burn position. This, the tight end position has the lowest amount of like early declares than any other position, you know, it's really hard to just like find a signal that's like really great. Now, in the context of like Kyle Pitts, you know, you're betting on a unicorn. He's probably the best practice prospect we've had arguably ever, but at least since Vernon Davis uh, in, in 2006. And he's just way more productive than him. But again, we're betting on this unicorn outcome. I think it's tough. He does look like I said, like the Calvin Johnson of, of tight end prospects. And maybe you just don't overthink it with him. I still have had a hard time like moving him over guys like Najee Harris and stuff like that, just because for fantasy, like, just that archetype of running back has just mattered a lot more than even elite an elite tight end. You know, you have to run into basically Travis Kelsey, what he did last season. And last year was like an all-time terrible year for the tight end position overall outside of the top two players. So it's really tough to really elevate those guys. But I have no pushback on if like if you have Kyle Pitts as a unicorn, you're like, you have to take Kyle Pitts over any prospect. I really won't push back on you. But there's obviously going to be a point in every of my league, every one of my leagues where someone likes outside of tight end premium leagues where someone likes Kyle Pitts more than me. He's already in FFPC redraft leagues being drafted as the tight end six. Like, yeah, I was, I was just going to say tight end five, according to the data on our site, but yeah, I mean, he, okay. So it might've even moved up. Like, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> yeah. so I, I, I mean, I think he's an easy fade 
in redraft. Now in dynasty, like besides the fact that he's, you know, this supposedly unicorn prospect, I do think the question marks at the other positions kind of, you know, work to bump pits up yes, your overall ranks. Like, like to me after Jamar chase, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, I'd have no problem taking Kyle Pitts, even in a non, you know, tight end premium league, just because I think there are question marks with everyone else. Yep. And that's exactly, that's exactly where I have him. But like I said, it's still hard for me to vault him over those guys that we know if like, Najee Harris is going to walk into a workload role. Like it's just going to matter a lot more for fantasy. It's more positional leverage. I think one of the best things about dynasty in general is that there are so many different ways to do it much more so than redraft. Even if you take Kyle Pitts and he busts big time, it's not like it's going to kill you for any worthwhile amount of time to have gotten that one guy wrong. You can still win that season. You can still make up for it the following year. I think it's the best thing about the format. I think it's somewhere around only like 50% of first round dynasty rookie picks ever hit. And I think, I think hits like, you know, top 24 seasons for running backs and wide out. So, I mean, the, these guys are, are coin flips anyways. Yeah. That's why I said this open the show. I try not to have hubris on any of these guys, especially yeah. out in, the, in Twitter, you know, trying to do, I don't really sword and shield these prospects very, very much. So like on that. Before we close out on tight ends, is there, you said it's tough to find a signal. Is there anything that you have found that you point to even just a little bit at this point to, to break ties between prospects or, you know, maybe you get to round three and it's like, there's this one thing about that guy that makes me want to take a shot on him this year. I mean, just, yeah, production uh, is still like a big thing, you know, yards per team pass attempt is like a great stat that's gotten a lot more shine in recent years because it's a really strong. So it's a signal in the NFL, like projections as well, really, really kind of uh, having that as a higher correlation of targets. Yards per team pass attempt at the NFL level has a higher correlation to following your targets than actual targets do, which is pretty wild. So like something like that, like a guy like Hunter Long stands out in that regard. And I've seen him even like being like, he's a guy who drafted in like the third round of this class. Uh, he played absolutely horrendous quarterback play at Boston College, but was a highly productive player in an awful situation. So he's a guy like out of these lesser tight ends that I'm looking at as, uh, you know, your tight end premium leagues may be able to get in like your third and fourth rounds and have some value. Mm-hmm. Well, Rich, it has been awesome having you here with us today. Please tell people where they should look for your work. All my stuff's at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Everything is always free in the offseason. There's no paywall. So all my rookie breakdowns and write-ups and rankings, all that stuff is, you can just go read it. You can check it out and I'll update that stuff all after the draft, uh, which we finally are going to be at. I know a lot of us have been talking about these rookies for months and we're just ready for it to kind of be here next week. So everyone just enjoy it next Thursday. But you're not going to change it a lot for NFL landing spots, right? No, I don't. I mean, unless someone really bricks, you know, like, you know, someone gets drafted with like supremely lower draft capital uh, i wasn't high on hiking butler that year but like i still moved him way down <laughs> you know like you know i think i had him like pre-draft like like wide receiver six then you just he goes like wide receiver 14 or 15 and like is not heard of ever again uh but yeah I'd, i i definitely say like i my so my favorite format is these drafts that you have your rookie drafts before the NFL draft because one, it makes like having conviction or takes more. It makes the homework level fun. It also makes the NFL draft fun because you're yeah. like, Oh shit, I drafted this guy. And that, you know, I drafted him at one Oh four. I need this guy to get drafted. Like I need him to like, I want to see where he goes. It makes it more exciting uh, for multiple levels. And then it adds more strategy uh, to the dynasty level. Cause you'll have guys who say like, I don't want to deal with the extra variants. I'm going to punt all these picks, trade them and stuff like that. So it's my favorite format, but uh, yeah, I d- don't overweight those landing spots though. That's right. <laughs> He is at Lord Reeves on Twitter. He's Rich Rebar of Sharp Football Analysis. Thanks very much for joining us today, man. Absolutely, guys. That'll do it for this episode of the podcast. Check out the full series of free Dynasty Prospect Scouting Reports on DraftSharks.com. 
We're up over 40 of those guys now. You can find podcast versions of nearly everyone on the DS YouTube channel, as well as any of our podcast feeds. If you're a DS insider, you'll be able to see our pre-draft rookie rankings next week ahead of the event that we're all anxiously anticipating. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For our guest, Rich Rebar, Jared Smola, and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 